All right, class, the bell is ringing. You don't want to tardy now. Come on. Mm, we want to welcome everybody to school. How many know that we're in school right now? Come on. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to learn. I want to, I want to learn some things. Uh, who enjoyed uh, last week's class? We kicked off this tabernacle. You guys, did you guys enjoy that? I'm going to go ahead as I'm talking about whenever you get a chance to, Gregory, if you're back there, if we can start even queuing up the PowerPoint. Um, just kind of do a little bit of review for those who uh, weren't with us last week. Uh, last week, we talked a lot about uh, the importance of the tabernacle, and, and the basis of it was, um, well, let me, ask, let me ask a few of you guys, see, see who's here and uh, who can maybe remember. Who could tell me, who could tell me something that you remember or that we discussed about the tabernacle last week? All right, one that stood out to me that uh, was, you know, we have the, the outer courts, the, the holy place and the holy of holies. And then our body, the temple of God, is the same. Our body is the outer courts. Our soul, our mind and emotions are the, the holy place. And our spirit where God lives is the holy of holies. Come on. Did you guys catch that? Can you, can you pop down one or two slides, Gregory? Uh, we're going to show the slide Ron was talking about um, one, right there. So one of the basic points we talked about is that there is a tabernacle in the Bible that we're reading, right? But there's also a human tabernacle, and that's you and I. And that was the correlation, right? The outer court uh, is the body. The holy place, the inner place, the inner holy place is the mind. And then our mind houses our soul, our, our, our will, our soul, emotions. And then uh, the spirit, of course, is the holy of holies. Did someone else have another comment on that, LJ? Not, not on that particularly, but when you said joy was in the back, which the enemy came, always tried to come in from the north, and joy was at the north. Um, Manasseh? Yeah. Not Manasseh? Uh, Asher. Asher. Yes. And I thought that was awesome. The yeah. joy of the Lord is our strength. Come on. Uh, LJ was talking about when we talked about it, the tribes, the camp, um, the arrangement of the camps around the tabernacle was very important in the Bible. The example we gave was the tribe of Asher, which they were positioned in the north, which the north is the gate. And we know that Asher in Hebrew means joy and that God stationed the spirit of his joy to block the enemy from coming in the gate. And joy of the Lord is our strength. So, that, yeah, that was, that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, yes, Tracy. Just that the uh, purpose of the tabernacle was to give place the Lord a place to dwell physically mm. among his people. And just it's a picture of our spirit is a place where he not where he wants to dwell, but he just he wants to inhabit yeah. all the time, not just once a year like the priest or every Sunday when we go to church. He wants to inhabit us 24 seven. Come on. Wow, that's awesome. Mike, can you meet me halfway? One of the things I remember were you talking about um, that the priests would go in and they would have bells and these ropes tied around them. Hmm. That if, you know, they heard the bells, that they would pull them out. That's right. In case things weren't going good. If things weren't going the way, that means they, they, they died or something, huh? Yeah. <laughs> There's something. Something worse. Okay, so, man, you guys are paying attention. Come on. That's exciting. We'll do, we'll do one more, Joy, and then we'll go ahead. Before the altar, we, animals had to be given up as sacrifices. Mm -hmm. But now we have the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus on the cross. Yeah, wow. Come on. Yes, go ahead. One more here, Doug. Good job, Josh. Yeah, you know, uh, in the Holy of Holies, or, yeah, the Holy of Holies, it had to be clean, pure. Mm. Well, inside of us, we have to keep ourselves clean, clean inside so that the Holy Spirit can move even more inside of us. Yeah. You know, because he tells us, I am holy, you be holy. Mm. Amen? Amen. That's a good word, Doug. Absolutely right, man. Okay, so tonight, everybody got a handout? I hope everybody got a handout. We're going to kind of go through this as our guide. I don't know how much, I am super excited actually, by the way, about this, but I don't know how much we'll get through this. Um, 
But I want to kind of stick on this first point a little while because it's just really good, I felt. But I felt tonight what we wanted to do is we want to actually walk through the tabernacle. So we wanted to start from piece by piece of the furniture and just walk through, starting with the gate, and talk about that whole process and what it means to you and I right now. Amen? So I'm going to, if you can go one more slide, I'd like to have these visuals. Here we go. So in Exodus 27, 16, we see the making of the gate uh, of the tabernacle. I'm going to read that verse. In uh, Exodus 20, 26, or is it 27, I'm sorry, verse 16, it says, For the entrance to the courtyard, make a curtain that is 30 feet long, make it a finely woven living, decorate it with beautiful embroidery in blue, purple, and scarlet thread, you can tell me what blue means. Royalty. Blue. There was another word we were looking for with the blue. Prophetic. That prophetic anointing. Okay. So they, they I'm sorry, that was a pause break. So they did uh, <laughs> the colors. Um, support it. Let me make sure I'm in the right verse. I'm not used to your Bible, Amber. Uh, verse 17. All of the posts around the courtyard must have silver rings, hooks, and bronze bases. So the courtyard will be 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, with curtain walls seven and a half feet high, made from finely woven living, and the bases of the port posts will be made in bronze. Come on. Here's a great visual of the outside of Tabernacle, what we just read. What I wanted just to kind of start with is notice the fence around the Tabernacle. What color is the fence? White. White. So what does this represent? This represents righteousness. This represents righteousness. And it also represents something else. It represents the separation. See, when you're outside, you're outside. But when you come inside, you're inside. And it's all about how we come in. We know the Bible tells us, right, through the kingdom, that we are justified by faith. So it's our faith in Jesus, our faith in the Lord, that what? Makes us righteous. We can't be righteous, can we? Legalism is man's attempt to get righteous. But the Spirit, the Lord, is his ability. We are righteous through his blood. So we don't get righteous, we become righteousness. And a lot of folks that can't maybe grasp that have to stay outside the fence. But there is a way when we get inside. So that's usually kind of what I, I feel the, the, the outside perimeter kind of stands for. All right, here's where it gets for me exciting. The gate. The gate. Now there was one gate into that tabernacle. But I want you to notice how many sections are there into that one gate that you could go through? Four. Who can tell me and remember prophetically what the number four means through our dream class that we talked about? Does anybody remember that? We rooted it from Genesis. You know eight, new being up, well, we're on four. We're on four, Pat. Eight, There's a little two, bit of difference. Eight, good two. One, two, three, four. You're doubling up, double portion. Here, I'll, ref I'll refresh our memory. Remember in the creation, because we talked about Genesis 1 and the days of the creation, those Fourth numbers. Day signify and they're prophetic in the whole Bible. So what did God do on the fourth day? He established times and seasons to rule the earth. So we know the number four usually means in the Bible, times, seasons, all-encompassing empires and nations. So four has this completion to it, this, this whole, whole approach. So Four is very important in the Bible. So here, here are four different entry points into the gate. So why is that? It's believed, and I believe, that there's two layers of revelation to this. I want to talk about the first one. The first revelation is it points back to Jesus. Everything in this tabernacle points back to the blood, to the lamb, to Jesus himself. But there's also a prophetic revelation to it too. So let's start with Jesus. Those four represent the four gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But before I go there, I want, to, I want you to see this. It's wild. Go with me real quick to Ezekiel chapter 1. 
Ezekiel chapter 1, and you're going to say, what has that got to do with the connection with the tabernacle in the Gospels? I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to explain it. Ezekiel chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 4 and read a few verses. Ezekiel 1 and verse 4. Now, we know Ezekiel was a prophet, prophetic prophet, had a crazy prophetic vision of something called the four living creatures. How many have ever heard of the living creatures? How many know what the living creatures are? That makes two of us. I don't know, but I have some understanding of of what they represent. So let's, let's look at the living creatures. So it says in verse 4, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashes of lightning surrounded by a brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four wings, excuse me, four faces and four wings. Skip down with me to verse 10. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man. I want you to highlight this. The face of a man. On the right side, they had the face of a lion. On the left side, it had the face of an ox. And it also had the face of an eagle. So we have the face of the lion, the face of the ox, the face of the eagle, and the face of the man. This represents, believe it or not, the four Gospels. If you take the Gospels at their theme, at the bigger view of of how they were written, each four carries a distinct, unique perspective of Jesus. For instance, the book of Mark highlights the servanthood of Jesus. The book of Mark, when you read it, highlights the servanthood of Jesus. That represents the ox because that's what an ox does. He serves. So it represents the, uh, the, the servanthood of Jesus. The face of the lion represents, well, a lion represents kingship, supreme authority, boldness. What book does that represent? It represents the book of Matthew, who unveils the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Matthew was written to the Jewish audience to show that Jesus is the king supreme over all the Jewish people. He is the king of kings, the Messiah. Royalty, you see that highlight. How about the eagle? The book of John, believed by many, is represents the eagle here. In the book of John, there is that divinity of Jesus theme. Now, the eagle, which we all know for, has this characteristics of seeing, incredible, penetrable eyesight. The eagle can see far beyond many things. John's gospel is highlighted in love. One of the themes out of the whole book of John, of course, if you read it, is love. Love is what makes us see. Love is what empowers us to have the prophetic sight of the eagle. So John highlights love. What was the other one? Man. The face of the man. Luke's gospel was written not to the Jewish audience, but to who? The Gentiles. The Greek and the Roman and every other tribe, tongue, and nation. His gospel is all about the humanity of man. And it speaks of Jesus is enough to rescue and save all of humanity. So here we got the four living creatures and basically what they represent in the Gospels. Come on. This is the, and we're talking about the entrance into the tabernacle. So now it gets a little bit more exciting is I also believe that there's a prophetic edge to this. And I'm going to start with these animals. So let's back up. Let's take the ox. There is an ox anointing. There is an ox anointing. I'm going to tell you what the ox anointing is. The ox anointing is the anointing to plow the ground. All the oxes, please. You see, when we come into the knowledge of who he is, we have access to the whole gospel narrative. These four entries are the four anointings of the gospel synergized for you and I to walk into. So this anointing of the ox is an anointing to plow. Proverbs 14.4, 14.4, this is what Proverbs says. Oxen, where there is no oxen in the manger, the manger is clean or the crib is empty. But where there is oxen, there is an abundance of harvest. 
What does that mean? Where there is no oxen, the crib or the manger is clean. But where there is oxen, there is an abundant harvest. What that proverb is saying is saying, listen, oxes are going to come with a little bit of mess. You know, they, they make some big poop. That's all I know how to say. They make big messes. But it's worth it because without them, you can't have an abundant harvest. You need the ox anointing on your life. Because there's going to be times and seasons when you're going to have to plow the ground. And when you go through these times and seasons in your life of plowing, a lot of times there's no fruit showing up. And it's real easy to get discouraged. But God has set you on a course, and you have to stay the course. Anybody ever drove in the country and just saw a beautiful plow field? And you see the rows. They're not zigzaggy, are they? They're perfectly straight up and down. And that ox, that ox anointing has to plow. It's got to go through. It's got to plow through the challenges. It's got to plow through the hurts. It's got to plow through the obstacles. It's got to plow through the hard ground, through the softer ground, through the real hard ground. It's got to keep going until its objective is met, and that is to break up the ground, till the soil, so that the soil can produce fruit for the harvest, an abundance of harvest. Whew. There is an ox anointing to plow. Anybody plowing right now? Come on. It's the hard work. It's the hard work. It's the pioneering. It's doing it, doing the thing that nobody else is doing. And it can be lonely. Very lonely. You know, a lot of times, like I said, this represents, I believe, an anointing in a season. And there's these seasons we go through because the ox, people will be like, you big dumb ox. And they want to kick you and kick you down and, you know, ah, push you and come against you and, and all that stuff. But you just keep going straight and you keep plowing forward and you just keep doing what you're doing. Even if you don't see fruit, even if you don't see results, you stay focused. Have you ever been in a time where God has called you to do something? You know you're doing it, but it's like nothing's happening. I've lived there many times. But let me tell you something that happens. After the ox anointing, there, there's another anointing called the eagle anointing. And the eagle anointing is that season where he takes us high in the sky to show what we just plowed. Come on. How many of you know, right, you, you ever following the Lord? You know you're following him. You know you heard him. But you're like, man, this don't make any sense. Come on, Vince. You know what I'm talking about. This don't make any sense. When we moved to North Carolina, y'all, it didn't make any sense. Matter of fact, we were this close to moving back to Virginia. I'm, when I mean that, probably like that close to moving back to Virginia. Because when we first moved to North Carolina, every door that could be closed was closed. And it was the most empty feeling. Because it was like we stepped out on faith, but even then it was closed. It's like you had to wait. It's one thing to get out of the boat. Then you got to wait there in the water a little bit. And, and we, we were in that place. But then all of a sudden, God broke through. What happened is he gave us that eagle anointing. We went into the season of soaring where we could see why we moved here and why we were, why we were plowing. So let's talk about the eagle a little bit more. So the eagle has keen eyesight. Keen eyesight. And the eagle can fly real high and it can see. So this represents the seeing anointing or the seeing realm. How many know that there is a seer realm? That there's an ability to see devils and demons and spirits and operation on people, on things, on places. And some people, some of you in here actually have the gift of discernment. That's an actual real legit 1 Corinthians gift. And you have an ability to see demonic things operating in people. You can see it. Oftentimes, though, I've learned with people who have an extraordinary ability to discern and have wisdom comes a price or comes a challenge. Here's the challenge to that anointing. The challenge to that anointing is you see things operating on people, and it's so easy to respond out of what you see. But Jesus says, I don't judge by what I see. I judge by what I hear. And so really operating this anointing is we get into this place where we can see and we can recognize and we can discern. But at the same time, 
we have an ability to hear on how to execute the judgment or whatever we need to do and not move out of line. Does that make sense? So there, there is that eagle anointing. We could just stop right there, baby. So, so we could camp out there for a while. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable if you think about it. You know, something else about the eagle is every other bird has to flap their wings really hard to fly, but the eagle catches the wind. It catches the wind. It soars. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to do this. It waits and rides on the wind. So you know now when you look at it from that perspective and you read Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, uh, what is that Isaiah? Isaiah forty twenty nine. Even young men grow weary, right? Even even we grow weary, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. What's he, he's talking about the eagle anointing. There's a prophetic anointing of the eagle that is inserted in our life when we feel completely exhausted, but it could take us up to heights we've never imagined to see things that we're plowing and to see what's going on. And so, man, I, I just get stirred about when I think about that. Come on. I, I got the cue. Sweating. That's a good so eagle, um, so ox, eagle, uh, let's talk about the lion. There is a lion anointing. What is that? That is the anointing of boldness. That is an anointing of boldness. I believe we're living in a time where we have to be bold. We have to be bold. We have to be bold for Jesus, and we have to be bold to be good representation of the gospel. So let's talk about that boldness anointing. I liken it as confidence. You know, confidence, you know, the anointing is like a river. I'm serious. The anointing is like a river. In order for a river to flow, it needs proper channels. It needs proper ways, connection points, creek. It needs proper things in the land for it to flow properly. The anointing in the same way has to have channels of confidence and channels of faithfulness, of humility, of trust, cultivated in our lives for it to flow well through us. It's like a river. It flows really, really well. And so having confidence, the actual word for boldness uh, in, in Greek, you remember they're in the Acts and they're having the persecution. And then this is after upper room. And then they go to the house. It says they prayed and the whole house was shaken, right? But it said that God gave them boldness in that impartation. And that Greek word for boldness, guess what it means? It means freedom. So how do you and I tap into boldness? We have to be free. When we're free of every weight and thing that tries to so easily entangle us. And we open up and we're honest and we're truthful and we give the enemy no room to operate. Then we are walking in true freedom. When we step into that freedom, then there's a natural ability from the Father for us to be bold as lions. And that's why you can open your heart, share your testimony without any fear of what people may think of you. Because you are now being a channel for the confidence and for the anointing of boldness to flow through your life. Man, this comes in the gospel passage into the tabernacle. We're going to try to get there. The, the last one on that fourth one was, uh, uh, what was the, man, man. All right, so Gospel Luke, man. What does this mean? What does this mean? You know, in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is Paul, the Apostle Paul, he makes a statement. I think I got that on the outline. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. You don't have to go there. You can. But this is what basically Paul is saying. In the, pro, in the place of him defending his apostleship, the apostolic anointing on his life, he makes a statement and he says, you know what? To the weak I will become weak so that I may win them to Christ. To the Jew I will become like a Jew so I'll win them to Christ. To the slave I'll become like a slave so that I can win them to Christ. I'll become all things to all men that I may win more for his name and his glory. He's tapping into something. This is a transcending anointing. This is anointing that transcends and that you have an ability to break racial barriers, cultural barriers, ethnic barriers, any kind of barriers in people groups because you are centered in the burning love of God and the burning love of Jesus. There is an anointing that transcends when you step into that place and that you don't have to be like this or that or the other, but it naturally flows from the place of who you are. That's why you guys heard me say it many times. Sometimes I feel like I'm a black man in a white man's body. Come on, man, I'm just being truthful. 
Come on, Jesus. Hey, you know, break barriers and cultures. Come on, Renee. Hey. Woo. You get fired up. You get me fired. <laughs> oh, 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 you just get fired up. Praise dance. Mm. Praise break. Oh, so, but, but you, you guys tracking what I'm saying? I believe in that. I, I really believe that there is a transcending anointing that comes over our life so that we are in the place and, and the ability to be able to, to connect with, to release the gospel, to be witnesses, to do all that he has inside of our hearts, no matter what the people look like or what the difference is or any of that. We transcend all that. We're not worried about Black Lives Matter or the white supremacists. We're not worried about all these different issues and social justice issues that are raging in America right now because we're walking in confidence and because we know who we are and we know who he is and we can move beyond that and connect them to the heart of Jesus come on so uh, I just want to encourage us that we can we can step into that place and and so isn't the Bible amazing and it's just Bible's amazing there's just so much around it but um I, I love it so anyway back so this is all part of going into the tabernacle I just wanted us to see that this thing is really powerful, and it, it represents many things. It very is prophetic. Okay, so let's, let's go to the first piece. We're, we're moving here. Let's go to the first piece. So when you walked inside the tabernacle, you know, the priests, that was their job. They, they had a position out there uh, between the brazen altar and the, I always say the labor. Is that the labor or the labor? I'm sorry. The labor. Thank you. Amber corrected me. We had a discussion. We had a discussion today. I lost. But the brazen altar. Let's talk about this. Now, when in the Old Testament, during this time, if you were coming to make a sacrifice, the first thing you would do is after you entered the gate and all the anointings, you'd walk right in and you would hand the animal at the gate to the priest. The priest would take the animal and that animal had the sin, right? Because that's how sin was atoned for back in the day. If the person or the family sinned, they would give up their best lamb Leviticus outlines all the offerings, and they would take the offering up to the altar. Now, that altar, they would take it, of course, kill the animal. They would kill the animal. They would drain the blood, and that blood would be used sometimes in putting it on the ark once a year on the Day of Atonement and using for different things, various things. But the point in all of that is this was the sacrifice. And the altar represents one word to make it really clear. It represents the blood. It represents the blood. It also represents the cross. This is where Jesus died on the cross, right? He died on the cross for you and I. He shed his blood for you and I. This altar, that's what that represents. It represents the blood. Now I want to talk about the blood. Leviticus says that life is in, the life is in the blood. So the blood is God's prescribed conceptualized approach to handle and deal with sin, to make an atonement for sin. So what does this mean to you and I? How do we actively activate that in our life? Well, here's a good way to look at it. In the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting down, and it's the last meal. And it comes to the cup. And what does he say about the cup, y'all? He said, this is my what? My blood. Poured out for thee. Who can tell, take me the next part? Matthew 26. It's, it's poured out for what? My blood is poured out for the remission or the forgiveness. The altar represents forgiveness. How many have ever prayed, grown up praying, or heard somebody pray, I plead the blood of Jesus over my family? I plead the blood. I've, I've, I remember hearing that when I was 10 years old in our basement prayer meeting in New Jersey. I plead the blood. Mama, that peed in the blood. I never really understood the fullness of what that meant until I did this study. What does it mean to plead the blood? What does that really say? Here's how I look at it. Pleading the blood is pleading forgiveness. It's forgiving ourselves, asking God to forgive 
us for what we have done, but then also releasing forgiveness to the people around us that hurt us, that, that hurt us, that, that, that come against our lives. We have to always live continually in forgiveness. You guys remember a few Sundays ago, I, I spoke a message about the gospel of John and that when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood, the very first act he did was that he came to the disciples, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And then what happened right after that? He said, now receive the forgiveness of sins, and you have authority to forgive man's sin. I never understood why that was there when he breathed the Holy Spirit over them. But they were hiding in fear from the Jews. They had unforgiveness in their hearts still about what they just did to their Lord. Jesus said, you can't fight them that way. You have to forgive them. That's how you get out of this situation. So when we plead the blood, we're pleading forgiveness over ourselves and the people that come against us. And that's what that altar means. We have to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. If a brother is 70 times 7, if he's beat you, slapped you, come against you, if your family is whatever it is, we have no right to hold any offense anymore. We have to forgive him just like Jesus forgave us. So when, I'm sorry, what was that? Did I hit, did I get it? No, I'm just waiting for Greg to get on. Oh. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. We're supposed to be, uh, Gregory, can you hit the next slide? I'm sorry, I got all stuck on there. Uh, the other way? One more. Uh, the other way? No. Nope, there you go. So that's what the altar looked like. And that's the brazen altar. The four horns, again, four representing this is, this is the altar of forgiveness that reaches all humanity, all mankind. Hit the next one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Real these quick are, before we move on. These are all Google images, just so you know. Google images. Any questions about the brazen altar Free on the web. before we move on? Any questions? Is this good so far? Feeling good? Yes, Sarah. Not a very specific question, but can you just elaborate and talk about it and describe what's going on? Sure. So these are the priests. Thank you. So these are the priests. They're obviously keeping the fire hot because in order to kill the animal, they had to stoke the fire. Anybody ever made a fire and kept a fire? That takes some work, doesn't it? So they had to do that. It's definitely some labor. So part of their job was to keep the fire hot, and that fire burned how long? All the time, day and night, night and day, 24-7. And there's a reason for that. We'll get there. There was a, yeah, come on. Oh, make me a house of prayer. Oh, God, make me an altar. It's a very powerful image. And you just see them stoking the fire. And, again, they would put the animal on that. They, after they would cut it, kill it, the animal would be burned. And then, of course, the priest would eat it. The priest would eat the remaining meat. And so basically that was the natural process of how they, how they manned the altar. Also, do you know what's on the side of the altar? There's a big pole. Why is that pole there? That's mobile imagery. The altar is mobile. It's like we got to bring forgiveness everywhere we go. Okay, hit the next slide, Gregory. We're going to, um, and, and again, um, the place of sacrifice. Hit it one more, Greg. And I'm going to tie that back in to labor, 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 I'm sorry, the labor. Tammy, where is Tammy, Tammy? Tammy brought out a good point last week. I don't know if you guys remember Tammy's comment. Tammy said that one of the last things the priest would see before they went into the holy place was their reflection in the labor. Isn't that interesting? Real quick. Yeah. When I was working on this, you know that song, I think I sung a little bit of it last week, take me past the outer courts into the holy place, past the brazen altar. And then he says, Lord, I want to see your face. And usually I thought, like, we're just going into the holy of holies. But when I was doing this, I was like, the labor. Like, when he looked in the reflection. Yeah. Like, when he saw himself in the reflection, he wanted to see the Lord. <laughs> like, becoming like Christ. Come on. No, that's awesome. So, 
bronze. bronze. It yeah. was both. Good point, Tammy. Thank you for bringing that up. The uh, the labor and the altar outside of the tent were both made of bronze, but everything inside the tabernacle was made of gold. And again, why would that be? What does that represent? We know gold represents purity, holiness, right, cleanliness. So the bronze, and we talked about this last week, represents God's strength and power. And so you have the blood, and then you have the labor, which represents cleansing the word and that process. So what happens is these two items are bronze because it means God's strength and the power of who he is judges and meets sin at the door. They, they can't go inside the tent. That's why that's bronze. So here's the labor. So this water, this washing, it represents the word. It represents the Bible, the word. You know, the word is something powerful. It's something very powerful. I thought about the reflection comment that you made, Tammy. It was really good this week. And as I was thinking about it, when they looked and saw their reflection, I think that's how the Bible is to you and I. It's like a mirror. Now, who was here Sunday? Remember, we taught, we brought this out Sunday. We said that our hearts are so deceived that we can't even know what's in them. Because Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceptively, deceitfully wicked above all else. Who could possibly understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. So that scripture is really pointing to a reality. That reality is that you and I sitting in this room right now do not know what's capable of coming out inside of here. So we can't see. I mean, that's a sobering thought. Right now, we can't see sometimes what our own motive is and intentions are. But the word of God is like a mirror that sees beyond what we can see. And it judges the thought and the intention, dividing the bone from the marrow, tearing it asunder. It says it's like a fire in my heart, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. There is nothing like the Bible. And this thing represents we have to have a relationship with the Bible. We, we, we have to have a relationship with that word. We have to be washed in that word. He told the disciples, John 15, right at the Last Supper, he said, you are clean. By what? By the word. By the word. The, 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 the effect of the word is to cleanse us and to purify us. Now, I want to talk to some of y'all real quick. How many of you have ever had a hard time reading the Bible? Be honest. Come on. <laughs> have you ever approached the Bible and you feel like you can read everything and you just understand it? It's really clear sometimes. But then maybe more often than that, you approach it and you're like, man, what is this saying? Like, I'm like, I've done flipped through ten times and I don't know what I'm reading. And sometimes I've been in a place where I'll sit there and I, I'm so, I don't know where to read that I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, Psalms, the, the Gospels, and I'll go back and forth. And this is like 45 minutes. And I'm thinking, wow, I've not read anything. You get overwhelmed. You get so overwhelmed, you don't know where to read. I, I'm out, I, I've been there many times. So the question is I have for us is how do we approach the Bible? How do we approach the Word? And is it possible in the approach for it to become alive and for us to actually grasp it? I've given a lot of thought to this one. I think you had some, a few comments on it, didn't you, about your experience and the approach to the Bible? Well, first off, I went to seminary and they ruined me <laughs> when it comes to translations. And so my favorite is NASB for studying, but I thought I had to, like, read the New American Standard. But it's not, it's, I mean, it's good. It's not as hard as some of the other translations, but readability can be a little difficult. So I recently got the New Living Translation, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, this is, like, so good. <laughs> so your translation and the readability of it is important. And when you hit a spot where you're like, hmm, you can always look at other translations, but really the real translation is the Greek or the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So... 
you should just go on back there if you're gonna if you're concerned. But <laughs> yes. Just go on the Greek and Hebrew and mm. check Blue Letter Bible. It's your best friend. Yeah. But um, I did go through a season mm-hmm. where I would sit down and read the word. And it was just like, you know, you ever maybe I thought maybe it was always just me. But you read something and you're like, you're reading it, but your mind is gone. <laughs> and you're like, oh, pay attention. And then you read again. <laughs> you like you have to do it about five times. None, you know, none. But this was even pre-kids, you know. But I found, too, for me, I was explaining this to Michael because we kind of had a discussion about this, but there's been a season that I've come into where it's like it is alive Mm. and I can't get enough. Like, it is like, it's really, really good. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. Thank you. Your for approach sharing. is very important. I, I think it is. And but I do believe sometimes too, there's a season where God just yeah He blows he on just it blows for on you. It. So. I uh, I know for me when I when I was there, but you got to persevere. You got to mm-hmm. persevere. <laughs> I I had a hard time reading the Bible in the beginning, and I didn't understand it. But then I thought about it. When did I actually begin to understand it? And um and and for me, it was that approach. For me, and maybe it is different for all of us, but I know I could just speak of my experience. For me, is when I when I got serious. When I got serious about it, I understood it. I, I just began to really understand it a lot better. And so when I approached it from that place, it just began to make sense a little bit more, a little bit more. How did I become serious about it? And I believe this is a principle that unites all of us: is hunger. I did have a hunger. I I, I know I did. I did have a hunger and a desire to know the Bible, to know the Lord. And maybe it was just very little back then, but I think it was enough. And it was enough to position in me to be serious. And that approach, I believe it started helping, helping me read and understand. And like Amber said, perseverance for sure. Because even time, you go through those seasons where you just don't understand it, and you're like, it's cloudy. But I want to encourage you, don't ever stop trying. You know, stay in that place of hunger. Because the Bible has a supernatural ability to really judge our hearts, to really go beyond what we can think and see and purify us and cleanse us. And it makes us rooted and it makes us grounded so that we're not going to the left and to the right. We're not following for every even prophetic word that comes by. We're able to test it. We're able to judge it. We're able to measure it. We're able to understand that, you know, what time and season we're living in, very important. Very important. If you, if you really understand the time and season you're living in, then you have a better opportunity and a better chance to make the right decisions and, and to hear the voice of the Lord. Whereas if you don't, you know, but having the Bible rooted in your life, it really helps, helps with all of that, doesn't it, baby? It does. And don't be afraid to tra- change your translation. <laughs> like, you don't have to be stuck on one translation. And so if one's not working for you, try another until you get it, until you find your flow with it. So here's the, here's the other thing about the labor too. Okay, so <laughs> labor, I'm gonna get it right. Lord, help me. Uh, she messed me up. Confession. This is what I wanted us to see. Overall, it is the place of confession too, because when that word starts moving, it produces confession. And so if you look at that piece and the brazen altar together, you'll see that you see the blood. You see the power of the blood, and then you see the power of confession. The power of confession. How many know that there's power in confession? How many know that here at our church, we do a thing called prayer ministry? Sozo, inner healing-based model prayer ministry. We've been doing it many years. Many of you know about it. It is an amazing tool. The whole thrust of prayer ministry is based on those two principles. If you nail it down, it's based on forgiveness and confession to see people get delivered and get free. Same exact representation here with the, with the labor and with the, the brazen altar. So that confession, what does that look like? That looks like we had to live in that place of just continual transparency. We're honest and we're open. And we're not holding and keeping anything down. Let me tell you a real, I feel a truth. As much as possible, you always are open with people and how you deal with. Now, I know there's a time and season for things. But there's a time where we really have to be open and transparent. Because the more we do that, then the less likely the enemy can use any little thing hiding and bring it out later on down the road. I mean, it's just the truth. And so 
again, I, I, I know I'm getting real preachy, but I, I feel that that's so, that's so important. Oh, here's the last part about this. So in the outer courtyard, let's back this up to the human tabernacle. So we've been talking about the two pieces outside the holy place, right? The brazen altar and, and the lavar. So now, what does that represent on a bigger scale? This is what it represents. It represents a lot of people live out here. And they don't ever go in. Those who live out here is what I, I feel the word is called carnality or carnal Christians. Now, you can be a believer, I believe, but be a carnal Christian. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not a carnal Christian just because it just don't sound good. But I, I've, I've met a lot of folk that they don't think it, but then the actions don't demonstrate it. So how do you know if you're there? Two things. The priests could not enter into the holy place unless they washed their hands and their feet. So they had to do it many times a day. Their hands and their feet. They had to wash it before they could ever go in the holy place. What does that mean to you and I? You can't bypass the blood and you can't bypass the Bible and the confession in order to get into the holy place. You have to go through this process. Just as Jesus had to go through Gethsemane first. Before he could go to the cross, this is a process we have to go through in order to get into that holy place. So a lot of times it's too hard or it's too challenging to let people know about my past, the way I grew up, the abuse, the pornography, the pain, the guilt, the shame, all those things. And people stop there. They get stuck there and they can never quite make it in. Now they're believers. They're going to heaven. I believe that with everything in me. But they put a break on their spiritual journey because they can't make the bridge. They can't step into that, that place where they give everything to the Lord. Let me give one more example of how carnality works. I, and I'm not, I'm not mean like a believer who's sinning. I mean a believer who's living by their own logic and reason. I, I mean a believer who's trying to follow the plan of God for their life based on even biblical principles. There's a difference. I'll get ready to show you. Abraham and Lot. Who remembers Abraham and Lot? Abraham and Lot outgrew a piece of land that they were on. Remember that story in the Bible. They outgrew a piece of land they were on. A dispute happened. A disagreement. So Abraham basically says, look, we, we're going to have to go different ways. So he went to Lot and gave Lot a choice. Now, Lot's a believer in this, what we're, in this hypothetical sense that we're talking about in that time in the Old Testament. He had to trust Abraham. He had to believe he heard from the Lord. And he, I think he had to believe God to measure himself to be able to make that journey all the way with Abraham. Because he left. Yeah, I mean, it's a long journey up until that point. They've been together many, many years. They've been through many battles, many trials, and Lot is strong. He's there. He's with his uncle. He's determined. He's believing. But then all of a sudden, when the choice comes to separate, he says, Lot, what are you going to choose? And Lot's looking, and he says, uncle, man, I see some really good green pastures. I think that will provide well for our flocks and for our family. That's going to be the place of provision for us. It looks, it looks excellent. I mean, it makes sense. It's logical. It's even common sense that we would go there. That place was in Sodom and Gomorrah. The sea lot couldn't see beyond that. He could only see with the natural eye, and he failed to see in the spirit. And that's carnal Christian 101. They try to live the life and walk the journey based on that perception and a mindset. But we have to get to a place where we live by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. All the time. Amen. And just because it goes well, the grass is not greener. It's not greener on the other side. I know that for sure. The grass is never greener on the other side. And we know what happens. Lot separates. Now, this is interesting. Just one, one more rabbit. So Abraham, he's saying bye to his nephew who goes on to Sodom. And guess what Abraham does? He waits. He waits on the Lord. And then the Lord breaks in and says, now, Abraham, you pick whatever area of the land you want. You walk it, and it'll be yours. And it just struck me. It says, this will be your inheritance. 
that Lot had to separate before Abraham could receive his own inheritance. And this is where it gets tough in our Christian walks because there's going to be friends close to you that are going to want to go inside with you, but they can't make it in. And you have to have a decision. Are you going to stay on the outer court or are you going to go in? Are you going to go to Sodom where it looks great, it's common sense, it makes the perfect sense? Or are you going to trust the unknown voice of God to go where you have no clue, where it makes no common sense? You don't even have a clue how it's going to work out. But you're just trusting in a voice that's leading to you to a place where you've never been. I don't know about you, but I choose here. I don't know how to live any other way. Don't want to live any other way. That's the outer court. Oof, Jesus, I just feel the Holy Spirit right now. Father, we just thank you right now. God, we just thank you, Lord. We want to make it into the inner courts, Lord. We want to be in that inner place, Father. We thank you. Thank you right now, Lord. Mm. Wow. I just don't want to move. He's here. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're so precious right now. We just thank you, Father. We love you, Father. We will love you, Jesus. Lord, and I just pray that you would, uh, you would walk with us. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Wow. I feel the Lord here right now. So good. Thank you, Lord. He's here with us. I, I feel, I think, I think that's a good place for me to stop. Um, did, does anybody have any questions or comments or anything stirring that they would like to to add before we close out. One more way that the word is a mirror is that when we read it and we read about Jesus, mm. it's how we should see how we can live. So it's like Jesus is a reflection of who we're supposed to be. Wow. Wow. That's so good. It's starting to look like him. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to comment that what just happened with you, I think was... The first line that you have on the lampstand, the process of burning love. That's yeah. where you just were. I can feel it. Wow, that's so good. Oh, Pat, you're so funny. Yeah. It's so good. Any in the youth department over here? Has anybody got any questions or comments? Anything burning? LJ? Danielle? Amber, do you have the microphone? Oh, oh I'm sorry. I didn't even see you, Heidi. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Hold one second, guys. When me and Joel were dating, my family was really against me getting married, and they didn't even really, like, act like, they didn't even act like they won't cared that I was dating or I was in love with him. But I decided to leave home and get married anyways. And even moving here was hard because I knew they weren't like they weren't for it. Mm -hmm. And when I had children, they were like, "Okay, you're you wanted to get married." And so it was hard, but I did what was right even though no one wanted, was supporting me. My family wasn't supporting me in my decisions, anything I did about getting married. Mm. But I knew in my heart, I followed my heart versus what they would say. And when I came to California this past summer, I realized how much God's faith would have been helpful to be around them. Because I, I said a lot of things, not realizing how when you're not in God, in the word, or in prayer, you say things not realizing how the, the enemy's tearing on your heart yeah. to say what they want you to say. Mm. 
So. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing, Heidi. That's really interesting. Amber, you would, or I think Danielle had her, and then we'll go a couple more before we close out. Danielle. Danielle. Okay, my question is, did only Aaron go into the Holy of Holies, or did all the priests, and was it just once a year, or could he go in multiple times as long as he presented mm. the sacrifice correctly and so, all that? Yeah, it's a great question, Danielle. Uh, everybody heard a question, how many times could the priests go into the Holy Holies, and was Aaron? The way I understand it, the best of my knowledge, I know that the high priest, not just any priest, but only the high priest could go in once a year. And that was designated to Aaron and his two sons at, at this time right. in the tabernacle. A direct descendant of Aaron mm -hmm. was the high priest, but the tribe of Levi. Yep, that's right. Was your priest. As, as it went forward in time, like up into the Middle Old Testament, even into the New Testament, then it rotated. So you had to be a blood descendant of Aaron and his, his two sons to be qualified for a high priest. Only once a year. And we call that today the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And then it got me thinking about John the Baptist because his father, yep. Zechariah, was... High priest. Was he, he was a high priest. Yeah. Well, he was chosen. Oh, he was All chosen. for incense in the temple. So he wasn't a direct descendant. He was a direct descendant. So that makes John the Baptist. Yes. I just thought that was really cool. That is cool. Share. So I guess I was just noticing with the altar, there's blood happening. And mm. then with the laver, there is water happening. And so I was thinking about the cross where there's blood and then water came out of his side. And then how there's blood and then like the cross representing his blood, but then also people needing to be baptized. So is there a parallel with the blood and the yeah. water? Right here. It's in First okay. John chapter 5. I could never understand this. So this, I'm sorry, sorry. This will be the last part. 1 John 5, 6. It says this. This is the one who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but also water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is truth. For there are three that testify together, the spirit the water, and the blood, and all three are in agreement. And I believe in that First John, he had this in mind. First John 5, verse 6, and he's talking about Jesus, the blood, the water, and the spirit. And I think that spirit is our willingness. So you see the blood from the altar, you see the water from the labor, but then the spirit, I believe, is about our willingness to, our willingness to go through the process and, and enter in. Like Jesus had to be willing to die on the cross, if that makes sense. That's a, for me, that was a great New Testament parallel for that, for the blood, the water, and the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you remember the spirit and Jesus aside, what came out? And blood and water. But she's, you're trying to correlate the baptism, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Like Jesus was the sacrifice, but he was baptized before he was the sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that I don't know. It's a really good point. But then it makes you wonder, you, what's the baptism? Yeah. Is it just identifying yourself mm. with Christ? Yeah. It's a really good point, Cheryl. Why don't you do some homework for us, and then you can share it next week. Yes. Come on. Okay, guys, let's stand, and we'll be dismissed. Yeah. Can we, can we grab a hand? Just grab someone's hands next to you. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you tonight. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for the tabernacle, Lord, and, and uh, the blood, the altar. There's so much, Father. And we're just so thankful for what you did for us, that you did make a way, that you made a way for us to enter in.
And Lord, we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you so much. Now, Lord, my prayer is that you would be with every person here. Lord, that you would cover them and shield them in your love. I pray a blessing over every household, every family member right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we do lift up Pastor Tom, the Hauser family. We contend in prayer over that family. We build a wall of intercession over that family. We build a wall of prayer over John Maples, over Terry in Jesus' name, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. And for the rest of our family that is going through hard times, challenges, sicknesses, they can't be here, other things are going on. Father, we, we ask that you would bless them tonight, comfort them, and be with them, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 See you next week. Amen.